Yeah, there is that. Absolutely. You know, you've told everyone you want to be a pro. This is what I want. This is who I am. It's your identity. And then next thing it's not. Did you feel like a failure? Um, at times. But again, I was pretty comfortable with that decision I'd made and I was comfortable within myself having made it. So, you know, the people I told who were good friends were like, yeah, okay, that's fine, mate. No worries. You're listening to Trade Mutt's 120 Grit Podcast, the podcast for the working class. Hosted by Dan Allen and Ed Ross, the co-founders of Trade Mutt. If you're a fan of Trade Mutt's 120 Grit, we'd love to hear what you think. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at admin at trademutt.com. Righto, Cam Powell. He's a mature age electrical apprentice from Brisbane who has a really awesome story of resilience. Ed and I both met Cam through sharing a warehouse with the team from Gardell Electrical. Every day as Cam would come to load up his truck for his next day of work, we started to learn a lot more about each other and we slowly became mates. Cam set himself a goal to become a professional golfer and committed everything he had to achieving that. He joined the Pro Tour and did the hard yards financially to make ends meet. In his late 20s, he began to realise that maybe he wasn't going to make it to the heights that he had hoped, and he began to plan for life after the, the dream of golf. This is a really inspiring yarn where we talk a lot about mindset, um, dealing with life when your goals change, and how important and valuable life lessons and growth are during your 20s. Enjoy. Yeah. Have a good one. But first, here's a message about our legendary sponsors who make this podcast for the working class possible. QuoteSpec is the newest building and construction quoting app created and designed by a working builder. Produce job-winning professional quotes in minutes with QuoteSpec's cloud-based quoting software. Get your free trial at www.quotespec.com and be prepared to get your life back. Get it back. Yeah, let's kick this in the guts, eh? Yeah, Rossi. Kick it. Are you actually recording? Yeah. Start again. What do you mean? I wasn't ready. We'll just go now. Kicking tires, lighting fires. Let's, let's get into it, mate. Oh, you are going? Yeah. Okay, all right. Welcome, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of Trade Mutt's 120 Grit Podcast, the podcast for the working class. We are uh, lucky enough to have another very special guest this week, mature age electrician, former golf pro. And a bloke who's currently nine months into 12 months of sobriety, Mr. Cameron Powell, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be on. <laughs> I think you were going to lose your shit there a moment. You were having a little giggle. Hey? Oh, it's just you two half-time comedians. No, nothing like that, mate. Nothing That's not like how that. it is. Um, what did you say? He's nine months, uh, no, mature age electrician. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Just Bright spark, aren't you? Aye. Good dad. Joke. Stop it. Well, we've got to set the scene. I suppose the reason we know Cam is through our office space here at the Mutt Hut and the electricians that we sublet off, Cam works for. So we uh, didn't have to travel far for this guest, <laughs> which was lucky. Yeah, I think our listeners, for anyone not watching this, needs to understand that Cam's walked in here without sideburns. <laughs> Why didn't you put that in the intro? If that's not enough reason for you to start watching this on video, then I don't know what is. Oh, no, but he's well, got the headset on. Everything's covering them up. Bugger. Well, um, um, we'll get a picture out there of the no sideburns. Right on, right on. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. So, Cam, mate, thanks for your time. No worries. We're, we're um, here, yeah, well, it's the first uh, tradie for 2020. To come on, so this is great. Good, good. Good to, um, good to get an electrician on too. I can't think of any electricians we've had on. So yeah, They're too busy not cleaning up after themselves yeah, to come right. on the show. Yeah, that's right. 
Let's not open that can of worms yeah. too early. We'll see you boys. Yeah. Uh, so we got chatting to Cam when we first moved into this shed, and you have a very intriguing story. It's but different, yeah. Well, yeah, I'll fell well. It's individual. Yeah, it is individual. You're an individual, aren't you? Absolutely. Very unique. No? Proud of you, mate. <laughs> but uh, no, it was around the golf. There was the golf stuff that really piqued our interest. Definitely, definitely. And we'll, yeah, well, we, let's just dive straight into it. I suppose. What better way? What better way? So uh, you're a local Brizzy boy, mate. I am. I am. Yep. yep. Born, and, born and bred. Born and bred. River City, beautiful. And uh, you always a sporty kid going through. Through school? Well, from a young age, yeah. Played a lot of sport when I was younger. Um, soccer, cricket, big into cricket. Used to love cricket. Um, played up, played sort of club cricket up until school. And then once I got into school, I started playing more school cricket. Um, got in a couple of representative teams, but never that good. Just a couple. Just a... <laughs> um, and then found golf uh, when I was about 13, 14. Um, I lived near Brisbane Golf Club. And... Uh, Started playing down there and then would go down every every weekend and just absolutely fell in love with it. I've always been pretty competitive and then there was a group of juniors there and um, from that just absolutely fell in love with the game. Every holiday, school holidays, mum would drop me there at six in the morning and pick me up at six at night. We had a good little crew and we'd just play, practice, go and look for balls and play around. It was great fun. So that was the beginning for me. It's an expensive so little hobby. It, it's not as a junior. As a junior, it's quite cheap. I think membership was about $350 a year. Yeah, right. Once you start getting to adult, you know, age, group, age groups. And yeah, yeah. That's when it starts getting a lot. What was it about golf that uh, you were so, I don't know, hooked on? What was it? Um, I think because it was an individual game, you're accountable for everything you did. Um, there's no excuses. It all it all comes back to you. So you've got to be accountable. Um I found that the more I put into it, the better I got as well. So those holiday brackets, you know, my first handicap was 19 and then the first first school holidays was you know, eight weeks. I dropped to 14 and then I dropped from there to eight and then in grade 12 I got down to about four. But it was just seeing that big improvement, the more effort I put in. Was that a goal-setting type thing or was that just you naturally getting better? Just naturally getting better. I think the more I played, the, you just pick it up and get better and keep going with it. Yeah, I suppose like for all the hacks out there that just get around on a weekend. What about uh, all the hacks in here? Yeah, the hacks in here, sorry. <laughs> yeah, two, two out of three hacks. <laughs> um yeah, I suppose like how, how much golf were were you playing when you're in, you know, high school? How high school was mainly weekends only. Yep. It was only those holiday brackets. Um I'd maybe get out once a, every couple of months after school on a Friday. I had a friend who um, his dad used to take us out every now and again. So we'd go out there, but it was mainly just just weekends. So I didn't play really seriously as a junior. It was more when I finished school that um, that I really fell in love with it, as in as in wanted to make it a career path for me. Were you watching golf? Like, were you a big fan on on telly as well? I was at that time. Tiger was at his peak. Mm. Tiger was for the for those golfers that don't don't know who Tiger is. Who's um, so who, who's he? <laughs> yeah. Um, so he was really in his peak from about 2000, from 2000 really, turned pro in 97, I think it was, or 95, I can't remember. But he was in his peak around those early 2000s. That's when I was getting into it. So I just, you know, I'd be up at <coughs> till really early in the morning. You know, I'd get up early hours in the morning to go and watch him play in the Masters and all those kind of events. So I used to really enjoy watching him. He was, he was a bit of a... Um, bit of an know, idol. Bit of an idol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So when what was the what was the point where you decided to, well yeah that you wanted to turn turn pro I suppose when when when, when did that all um, well I wanted to be I knew I wanted to follow that path as a professional when I was nineteen okay um, I, I finished finished school went to schoolies and I worked at the fruit markets in Brizzy for nine months and then I thought no I want to I want to play I'm gonna give a bit of time to this I went to uni for about four weeks or something and thought. <laughs> I didn't really enjoy that. What'd you go to uni? What, what degree? Sports management. I thought I'll stick in that sports line, and anyway, I didn't like it, so I pulled out of that, and then just started playing golf full time. So you made that decision. Did you? Was that like a? Did you tell everyone around you, like your parents? You're like, I'm going to do this. Um, yeah. When I started, I, I dropped from four to scratch in about six months. I thought, right, I'm going to give this a crack. I'm mm. going to give this a serious crack, and then that's when people would ask me, you know, oh, what are you doing with your golf? And I said, yeah, look, I want to, I want to be a professional. Yeah. So you're being supported. People like do people support your decision, or would you get some? Yeah, you know, yeah. I yeah. guess I guess w- when you've got a young bloke who's who's got a bit of ambition to, to do that stuff, people are supportive of it, and they they like to follow that a journey. Yeah. What about your parents? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was you know, I don't don't have much to do with my father anymore. But when I was um, at that point, mum mum did whatever she could to give me a hand. Yep. Um, because it was expensive. I was paying for all the trips away, and you know, you're flying around Australia. Uh, entry fees are expensive and mm. accommodation's expensive so you know people help you out and and she did what she could which was which was very helpful a lot of people so yeah I, there's a lot of stories of young you know people with potential that are kind of i suppose encouraged to get a backup plan like have a backup plan mm. because sport is not forever but yeah yep that and that was spoken to me yeah um as as a possible you know security and I didn't really think much of it. Yeah. I thought, nah, it's, this is what I'm doing. I don't want to waste four or five years at uni. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do other than golf either. So I just sort of stuck with that. I didn't think uni was going to be anything I wanted to be involved in. So having been to uni for that short bracket before yeah. I really got started, I was like, nah, Bugger this, is, this. this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. So, so um, where'd you play? What What's your local club? Brisbane Golf Club. I was a member at for 16 years. Yeah, right. Um, I've just finished that membership up there. I don't really play that much anymore, so I'm just I've joined Ipswich Golf Club, west of Brisbane. Yeah, um, great little great little track for for what you pay for it. So, um, yeah, I, again, I don't play that much now. As to what I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what does it look like? Sorry, were you about to? No, I was just about to butt in. Sorry. Yeah. What uh, What was the first comp that you went to when you said, oh, "Right, I want to turn." Or become a professional? Was there like a, a comp that it was like this is the first one on that road to becoming a professional? There was one that there's one that I remember, and it was the Queensland Amateur back in two thousand and I think it was six or seven. And I was trying to get into the Queensland teams, and I was looking up to the guys in those Queensland teams because that was the sort of path I wanted to follow. You get you know, you've got your tiers of at, at my time was Queensland Colts, which is right into twenty three, I think it was eighteen twenty three year olds at that point. Then there's your open side, which were you know the top guys. And um, they were the guys I was looking up to and I wanted to try and get into that space. So Queensland Amateur, I think I shot 68, 72 or something the first couple of rounds and it was good to be in that mix. That was good good for me then. Um, that was a confidence booster. Yeah, absolutely. And then bombed out in the last round. Anyway. What um, happened there? Oh, I probably just golf. got a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> golf, yeah, golf. happened. Um, a little bit ahead of myself and, and let let my mind take over in the wrong way. And, then I, you know, imploded a little bit. So I think I shot 80 that last round, which is pretty bad. But um, anyway, that was that was when I thought, okay, I really enjoy 
getting better and being involved in this sort of arena. Yeah. Um, so that was that was the sort of start to me. And well, I suppose it was a question we we put to you before we started recording um, today was sort of, you know, golf's such a mental sport in the fact that yeah, you can look ahead and get too far ahead of yourself mm. or be worried about what is coming up and like. How do you stay focused shot to shot? Like, what is that something that you progressively learn, or was it something that you went and got taught from someone, or how did you get to that point? You well, you're supposed to really work hard at it in your practice. So it's clearing your mental space before you hit your shot. You pick your target. You pick you know what shot you want to play, trajectory, flight, whether it goes right or left, left or you know left or right. It's um, there's a there's a whole different you know, array of thoughts that go through your head, but it's just trying to be really, really present at that time and block out everything. You see the best guys on tour do it so well. Tiger's one of them. Um, Brooks Koepka's another. They're, and, you know, they're dominating right now. Um, well, Tiger's, Tiger's come back and he's doing really well. But when he's prime, I mean, he was just laser sharp. Um, there's, there's, I think I read the other day, there was a tournament he played. It was the final round of a major and he said one thing to his playing partner the whole round. They didn't speak the whole round. And that's, you know, for guys who, who play a lot, you know, that seems unusual. But I guess that's sort of how focused he was to, to get the job done. So um, it's through practice and then realising when you're out playing, you'll do it and you think, I shouldn't have done that. You know, this is what I want to do next time. So just being aware. Because the ability, like there'd be plenty of people out there that have got huge amounts of ability, but the mental side is sort of what takes you to the next level would it not be or is absolutely yeah it's i mean guys get to a point where you know they're that good but it's the mental side it's the mental side it's a very difficult side to master you can you know majority of people who play golf will will struggle mentally at some point it's very very difficult but it's all it's all about the pressure you put on yourself and the expectation you have on yourself it's expectation versus result too that's a big one. Yeah. It's often like one bad shot as well. It just yeah, ruins your mindset. Yep. You can just yep. be tinkering on that edge yep. and then bang that crack and poof, yep. you know, it's all over. And, and your, your good round blows into a bad run very, very quickly. Yeah. yeah so how did you, I suppose, in, in, that, in that sense, like how did you learn to pull yourself back? Like if you're early into a round and st- things aren't going well, how do you sort of reset and get back to that point is it just trying to be present again and staying in that shot pretty much it's yeah. it's accepting what's happened it's going okay look i've started bogey double bogey bogey anything right this is not ideal i'm not where i want to be right now but okay that's where i'm at what's ahead right okay this is what i'm going to do from here and it's just sort of having a bit of a plan in place and just accepting that what has happened has happened yeah and trying to move forward that's a big thing isn't it like it's so easy you can hit a bad shot and just be like ah oh, fuck this it's like, <laughs> can we swear on this? Yeah, yeah well, okay. no C bombs, no C bombs. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. but you're right. It's you got to just like not let your last shot dictate your next shot. Yeah. It's about like starting again. What's the best I can do from here? Yeah, but you take that process of like resetting. Have you got like a like an actual mental process, like steps that you go through before each shot? Like I think of like Steve Smith when he bats and he touches his pads. Like 34 oh, touches. How many passed. times? Yeah, and like yeah, Raphael yeah. Nadal always picks a wedgie out of his ass. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? But it's he like goes over his nose. Yeah. And he doesn't step on any lines. And Oh, it's crazy. He doesn't step on He's got 13 things. He won't. He always got to put his labels and his um, 
his drink with the um, hydrolyte or whatever it is on the left-hand side and the water on the right-hand side, and they've both got to touch the same time and be in line parallel with the seat that he's sitting on, and he won't cross. So, you know, when you cross after a set or yeah. whatever, he will never cross first. He'll always wait for the f- other person to cross the net first before he goes. It's crazy. Attention to detail. Yeah, yeah well, because we, um, well, the Australian Open is on as we are having this conversation, and I, um, yeah, Googled it when the ATP... Um, Cut was on the other day. And, yeah, he's got like 13 or 14 things he does religiously. It's crazy. Is it it just tennis he does that with? Or is he in the kitchen with his missus and goes, oh, (laughs) you better cross that before I go. I don't know if he cooks for himself, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he... (laughs) But it is interesting because even like you're talking about that, setting yourself up, what even through that process, if you stuff one of those setup things up, is that it completely gone then? Or do you you have to start again? again? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I look, that probably comes back to practice. So of course you've got your pre-shot routine and you'll be thinking about things, but you get to a level where you really want that practice All sorry, all that, all that pre, uh, prior practice to just sort of work out there. Um, you'll think about it, but it should almost become pretty automatic. Yeah. You'd think it would have to be because I think if you put too much emphasis into that process that you undertake before a shot or before, you know tennis or whatever then that would almost be enough to put you off anyway mm. if that little settling process isn't just second nature yeah it's, well it's you, walking. you're probably already unsettled anyway yeah it's yeah. thinking about it right that's what i'm doing and then walk up and just do, do it, it. Yeah. yeah not thinking yeah if you're over the ball and your mind is just going everywhere you've just, good chance you're not going to play just try not like to shank yeah. it was, yeah. was there stuff like that sort of stuff you're learning in golf was that stuff that you were bringing back out into your day-to-day life as well. So, like, when things were going wrong, were you just sort of, you know, knowing how to reset and, and put it behind you and, and go again? Or was it just something you just had in golf? Because it's quite a, mm. you know, an interesting thing of how you... segue to bring it into life. Yeah, because yeah. it's something that we all should be doing. Yeah. You know, when something goes wrong, it's just, you know, learn from it, put it behind you and restart, which you, you know, obviously were doing in your golf career. But was that something that you brought out into your day-to-day life? Looking back, I don't think so. Back when I was playing... No, I don't think so. Well, golf um, was your life. Golf really. was my life, well, yeah. Of it, so. it, it all revolved around it. But I don't think I did as much then, but looking back now, I can definitely see how it has helped. Um, the, the lessons you've got from golf? <coughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but also, if you're doing that at golf every day, you when you go to golf, you rock up, that's when you switch on. Like, you switch on your, oh, this is what I'm doing. When you go home, it's like, switch off. Mm. Yeah, well, you got to. you got to switch off you got to switch off at some point, yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, it's probably less of a conscious thing. Yeah, but I guess looking at it now, you know, golf teaches you so many things in life. I, I mean, even playing now, you know, I stopped playing. I, I turned professional and then didn't play that much after that and then <clears throat> um, got back into it. And then it's even still having expectation there when I shouldn't because I'm not practicing. But, you know, if you get in a good position at a tournament or something and then next thing you know, I lost, I lost this event. I say I lost it. I was had a pretty good chance to win it, and then I lost it. And just that sinking feeling when you lose it—it's just—it takes a lot. I had to, I had to sort of pull back and just take a few minutes to just go. I took I took about an hour, but just to gather yourself again because again I had the expectation and didn't come off, and then it was. It's hard to. It's it's really hard to deal with sometimes. Yeah, um, well, just I, that fail that that feeling of failure yeah um 
Or just an opportunity missed. Like, yeah, you're right there. Missed because, you know, you want to win it. And also, to go through a golf tournament, like, you know, obviously a few rounds, like, there's a lot that has to come together throughout your rounds to mm. to come off, yeah. you know, in yeah. the, in the like, outside game when it's right there. It's It was there. It was yeah. there for the taking. Yeah. Anyway, that was... Um, so that was difficult. That's difficult when that happens. But also, you know, it can give you some fantastic highs, you know, when you hit a good shot. It comes out exactly how you want to hit it. Um, you win an event. You know, it's it's a great feeling. So, yeah. it, it, you know, it's it both ends of the spectrum. Something Ed, Ed doesn't know anything about, that feeling yeah, getting a good shot. <laughs> <laughs> good shot. <laughs> Flushing one. Thanks, thanks Derek. Yeah. Um, so let's get to, you know, the next part where you were starting to travel overseas Um and it was mainly China you were going to, China, to play? I played on the China tour for a year. Um, and that was that was an interesting experience. Um, very interesting experience, yeah. It was they had a, a qualifying tour there where eighty internationals sorry, thirty internationals got in and eighty nationals got in. So thirty people from outside of China and yep. eighty Chinese got through, which is uncommon these days. Normally it's just an even playing field. Um I had an event over there and it was, um, we were flying in and this huge storm hit and we had to go and land at another airport and we sat there for about four hours. Um, flew back in, there was supposed to be a shuttle bus to take us to this course. It was three and a half hours away, this course. And the shuttle bus wasn't there so I had to sleep in the airport that night. I ate duck tongues for dinner. It was the only thing I could get. Duck, did <laughs> duck tongues. They were in these little packets and yeah, anyway, they were really spicy. That... <laughs> The spicy duck tongue. Spicy duck tongue. It was really, it, you know. I actually didn't know ducks had tongues. Anyway, different story. Oh my god. <laughs> anyway, um, I had to sleep in the airport, and you know, I was hugging all my gear. I was, I was sleeping, in, you know, next to this escalator and this wall. There's no I, worse feeling, hey. It was the I had my, all my golf clubs. I had all my clothes oh. and everything. I was, you know, just hugging it, sleeping. And oh. I thought, you know, I send my alarm. Yeah. I had no Wi-Fi, so I couldn't email them, and, <clears throat> um. I ended up having to get public transport to this golf course three and a half hours away. And I did Chinese for eight years at school and I could just speak enough that I got away with it. I had this little book that a mate had given me. Anyway, this guy saw me walking. I'd, 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 to, I'd, I'd told these people I was playing Young Jung, I think it was <laughs> called. And they said, right, look, you can go catch the bus here and then catch the train over here and whatever. Anyway, I've walked out and I started walking to this place, hopped in this bus got taken to this big bus depot and this guy, um, he saw me walking, it started raining. So I've got this big bag of golf clubs and gear and everything. I've got this other bag with all my clothes and I've got this backpack on. As so I'm walking around, it starts raining. Oh, this cannot get any worse. I'm thinking, you know, I want to get to this tournament because, you know, you've got to get there to have practice round and just sort of settle, get your accommodation. And um, he, I'd, I'd been to Hong Kong for tour school. So just before I went to tour school, sorry. So I knew their currency. This will come back in the story. Anyway, we go to <coughs> this bus, this bus um, big station, and this guy pulls out this umbrella. He's walking me. He's like, oh, I'm, on a, I'm a bus driver. Day off, day off, I'll take you to the bus station. I know where you're going. Anyway, luckily he put me on the right bus, which I was thankful for. But he said, oh, he turned around when he was paying for it because I gave him the money. I didn't know how to say where I was going. And he said, oh, you pay me wrong money and they want money for your excess baggage. And he pulled out these Hong Kong dollars, like 300 Hong Kong dollars. He's like, you gave me the wrong money. And I just flared up. I was on no sleep. And I was like, I did not give you the wrong money. Oh, and I just absolutely barked at him. And he sort of went, oh, anyway. <laughs> he, got me, he got me on this bus. 
Oh, he tried out. to sting you. He tried to sting me, yeah, yeah. Tried to jam me up. And if I had no idea, I would have just given him another 300 bucks. Um, anyway, so I got to this golf course. I got a nine-hole practice round um, and then missed the cut by one shot. I was absolutely oh. gutted. It was just it was just this. How, how old were you at this stage? Uh, 26. Okay, 26. so you'd been traveling around for sort of seven years nationally and then Mate, this is sort of the first main international yeah yeah it was all all national stuff so a lot of, a lot in sydney a lot of melbourne you got a lot of a lot of tournaments down that stretch of coast so this was sort of your what not make or break but you're like your big i'm going internationally and this is a you know a massive step in my career type big thing. step big step i had i was working full-time at a bottle shop I was um, to try and pay for all that, you know, to live here and then also to save up to do these events. And they, they, was, so they said there was going to be one a month. There ended up being about four. Yeah. So that was a bit of a letdown. Um, but, you know, it's not cheap doing that. Yeah, I was just about to bring it's that. People cheap. do, I don't think the common man would have a clue how expensive it is to try yeah. and turn professional. Everyone talks about how much money you can win when you're a pro, but it's to actually be able to even get there that is the investment. Top percent that make the big dollars. What was, but it, what was it costing? You know, a, a, to uh, do this was it a few thousand, a few thousand to fly over and stay and 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 play and everything. But it was also the lead up. You know, getting coaching, um, you know, physio and all that kind of stuff. It's a massive investment to get yourself to that point. And as we spoke about earlier, I had a chat to my coach, um, and he told me, you know, it's fifty thousand dollars a year just to just to practice. That was the just practice, and then if you're gonna have a go and play and travel, you're gonna need a hundred thousand, and that just sort of That's really not, sunk in. Yeah. So it's a lot of money, especially when you know, I was out trying to work to make that. That was before you went to China. That, that he was told after. You that, that was after. after. Yeah. yeah, right. Some uh, yeah, a guy I knew said, you know, look, we could possibly give you some money if we talk to some people, and I said, I had no idea how much. Yeah, I spoke to him, and he told me that. Yeah, and I just thought, yeah. So you weren't sponsored by the stage. You're all doing this off your own back, and mm, mm. how do you get? So you, yeah. How do you get sponsorship? Like, what have you got to? Is it um, a lot of the guys these days who are who are really good? Um, they go through Golf Queensland, yeah. and the Golf Australia programs, where they get funding. So I think Golf Australia give give certain guys up to about fifty thousand, yeah. which is a good little boost. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, there's other ways people people. Um, know people from clubs and stuff like that it's it's difficult but yeah you've got to be really really at the top you know top end of amateur golf to get to get good funding so and a lot of the guys who are in that bracket sort of do 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 pretty well yeah so obviously you've got to have a certain amount of talent to get so far but then it's funding kind of the rest to be able to get the practice too so yeah. is this a rich kids game or what um like like realistically it helps a lot. Yeah. It helps a lot. If you've got the freedom to just go out and, and just play and not have to worry about anything, yeah, it does help. But that also, you know, doesn't build resilience for a lot of people. Um, if they're just getting funded everything, well, you know, yeah. they don't have to work as hard. And, oh, yeah. I, I, it's always going to be there. I'll be all right. But I think when you, when you have to work, you've got that extra. Uh, for me, I had that extra pressure and expectation on myself. Yeah, how how much how much pressure were you putting yourself under, you know, with like not financially, but as in, you know, mentally to succeed through the investment financially. If that makes sense. Like Too much. were you just like fuck I've got to I've got to I've, succeed here or I've got to, yeah. Um you know, working working long hours in the afternoon and evening 
to then practice during the day. And it was a lot of time investment. Um, and to then to go to a tournament and not play well, you just felt like you're failing. What's a no, what's was, not play well? What's not play missing well? Missing the cut. Okay. I mean, making the cut, you're making some kind of money. Okay. And if you don't, we'll pack your bags and go home. And, you know, I see a lot of guys now who I used to play with who are just still out there battling, you know, not, not really going anywhere. It's just this rotation of trying to play, make some money and just continue that rotation. Yeah, Probably because it becomes your identity. And that's where I just sort of went, yeah, this is just not not what I want to do. Was that when you were hungry for it, mm. was the um, – was it, it was it kind of easy to b- balance the work and the golf because of the goal? Because the goal was in sight? That was just the process. It was just, Absolutely. It was just, yeah. it was just this is what I'm doing. There was no other option. This is it. No. no. So are you living pretty skint sort of thing? Like are you kind of on a, on a reasonably tight budget to kind of make this yeah, work? Very much so. Very much so. You know, as I, as I mentioned, you know, you've got the coaching um, – my coach at the time, he was uh, up at Twin Waters up the coast. So, you know, driving up and back and fuel going up and back. And it's just all those little things yeah, yeah, on a yeah. casual wage. Um, yeah, that's, it all adds up. So it's quite tight. I remember one point I had, I'd been saving up and then a few things happened. I had $200 in the bank. And I was like, oh, how, how old were you then? When oh, mid-20s. Yeah. Which when you're trying to be a, a pro... And and you know things cost a lot. You, you're on the bones of your ass. You just think. How did you manage that? How did you get through that that uh, period? I still had a job, which was good. Which was good, and I was thankful. So I just sort of really tightened the reins with everything. Um, I don't know. You just sort of make it happen. I just I I, I was lucky. I was living like I was living at home, and I was wasn't paying rent. That was that was the big goal. That, you know, that was a big. Um, thing I can be thankful for with yeah. mum, you know, we spoke about how she helped me out. So that was that was handy, and I just sort of started saving. I take any shift I could. That sort of became the priority, just to build that bank up again. So, so while you're out doing that, where what, what are your mates doing? What are you like? What's what sort of life are you missing out on? Yeah, um, a lot of friends were out traveling. You know, going at that young age, everyone's exploring. They're sort of at uni on holidays, and then they go and travel overseas and do big trips with each other and watching that <coughs> and and seeing those guys really enjoy themselves and explore a bit was 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 difficult definitely weighed on my mind thinking what am I missing out on um so that was something that played in the back of my mind as well you know did you ever stop and stop and think that they're probably thinking fucking cams over playing golf in China the lucky bastard and where Back here, you know, doing a degree or a, an apprenticeship in Australia. and Yeah, look, that could be the stigma with golf, I think. You know, he's, oh, it's so glamorous. You see all these guys. But, yeah, I, th- I guess I remember one conversation where I was – we were out for a birthday party um, and I said, look, I can't drink tonight. I've got to play tomorrow morning. I'm going to have to go at eight. And this guy said, man, I wish I had that discipline. I wish I had something that I could work for to have that discipline for. Whereas at the time, he, you know, he was just having a good night with the boys. But um, – yeah, that was that was an interesting time seeing what they were doing to what I was doing, but I was still pretty focused on yeah. On, on you had a goal, yeah. goal, yeah. So let's let's like get back to where like you're in China, your uh, yeah international event. Run us through how that whole sort of campaign in China went, and like where you sort of where it got you in the end, where you sort of ended up. 
as to where I'm now. Well, the turning the year, point, the yeah. year in China, that, basically. that year in China. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was living here. I've made the, I've, I made the tour school. I got through there, um, and <clears throat> that was, you know, I thought, okay, I've got something to set set myself up for. I've got an event every month. They told me that didn't end up happening because it was just coming on. They just started this tour up. Um, so I was just working towards that. Every year was just, oh, sorry, that whole year was just working towards each event. So I'd work, save, travel. Oh, back. so you were flying over and back. Flying over. Oh, so you didn't I see thought that. you were living over yeah, there for oh, the no. year. Just because the, the events were... So far apart. Yeah, but they were far apart. And it was, Shit. There was no point living over there. Okay. So Setting when, up everything over there. So how, how did you go that year? Not that good for those events. Like that was, I made the cut in one event over there. Out of? Four, I think it was. I okay. Played. Are you thinking you are like not reaching your potential in these events? Like you could do better or were you just, or was it, or was the quality like of, of everyone Quality else? was very good. There's a guy yeah. called Lee Tong who plays in the European Tour. He was leading, he now, sorry, he's now in the European Tour. He just played in the President's Cup. Yeah, well. This year just gone. So he was the guy leading on the tour that year. I think he won it that year. So going over there and seeing, I guess in Australia, you're in this little bubble if you haven't played internationally where you know everyone who's playing the events. You sort of know where you stand there. Um, and then going over there and seeing all these people come from South Korea, Japan, Malaysia, Thailand, you've got all this big hub in that, you know, that Asia area, Southeast Asia area coming to these events. Mm. And then there are guys who are up there like 40 years old and they're, you know, seasoned campaigners. And it's a little bit daunting at the start. You think, whoa, I don't know these people. I don't know where I stand here. So that was a bit daunting as well. But I guess, you know, it comes back to just going through your own processes. This is what I've got to do. This is how I want to do it. Um, do you reckon that's that? Un- do you reckon that unknown? Look, you're saying you know people on tour in Australia, and you probably think, yeah, I know this cat, I can beat him. Um, you know, yeah, this guy stuffed up last one, oh, I can beat that guy too. But when you go with that mindset that you don't know those other players, you kind of start to wig yourself out a little bit because you don't know that much about them. Yeah, you can do yeah. absolutely. Um, that can that can be pro- that can be a problem if you weigh a lot on that, mm. uh, but. Um, at the end of the day, it all comes back to you. If you can, if you believe your golf's good enough, you're fine. So you were shocked at the quality. Did that kind of just the scores that they were shooting on some of the courses over there? They were long courses. There was out of bounds and hazards on one side, like lost ball, and then on the other side it was just water, pretty much on most of the holes. And they were long courses. And then these guys are shooting really good numbers out there. And I thought, yeah, okay. I'm not where I need to be in the game at that time. Was that early on in that campaign or? Yeah. Went over there and there was this American dude. I remember speaking to him. He was um, just from America. He qualified on the tour. I think he had a Chinese missus at the time. So he had a sort of a base over there. I think he was possibly coaching. I can't remember exactly. But he came over and he shot eight under one day and came in. He was like, yeah, it was good. It was good. And I was thought, (laughs) I don't know how you've just done that, but... (laughs) Yeah, I'm not. I wasn't at that point. So I think that's you're over there on your own. What's the mindset? What are you like thinking? What's the what's the go go forward from there? With like, well, when they're shooting there scores, like he's coming in, shot eight under, and you're just kind of like, yeah, you don't have a coach on your side going, fuck, don't worry about that. Yeah, man. you're it's like just focus in your own game. So yeah. like, oh, shit, who's it's patting you on the back and thinking, mate, you're right, you pick yourself up, we'll work yeah, on this. And it, yeah. it, well, it is it is difficult, and that's probably where I thought, okay, this is where I'm at. I feel like I'm giving this most of what I've got and I'm not really in that bracket of competing where I want to compete with these guys and I, that's sort of where I went well this could be 
<laughs> this could be this could be pretty tough. And I just I, that's sort of where I got to the point where I said, look, step back, have a look at where you're at. Is this really what you want to do? Do you want to put more effort in? And I didn't at that point. So that was after your fourth, your fourth comp over there. Yeah, you sort of. So did you just? Was that something you just on the plane home? You're just like, fuck this, or was it when you got home and like who? Who was the first person you told that you were sort of kicking it? That was it. I don't remember. I don't remember. So it wasn't like a big moment. It was just sort of like you were like, oh, that's I'm just sort of going to park that now. I just yeah, it was it was I I, I kind of got burnt out. I was working so hard around the clock to try and make it and I just thought I don't have much more to give I'm sort of at my tether here was there a moment when you realised that or was it just a gradual thing that just happened it was probably when I missed that last that last cut when I just thought yeah this is this is not really what I want to do so now. that self assessment piece mm. is that happening yeah I mean because I'm a, yeah maybe look, Ed's looking for a light bulb moment I think but like yeah. were you kind of I think it's probably gradual gradually looking at it like, going Going to each event and just thinking, for how shit. how long? How long was that happening for? Realistically, like probably months, six, six months. months. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, and, and I was just sort of it was just there, and then you know go to the next one, and then you know that story of getting to that course, and I just thought oh, this is just I can't be bothered dealing with this stuff. I'm doing my best to get there. This is happening. I just I just couldn't be bothered with it, and that's sort of where I just went. No, nah, I think that was just over time, just sort of compounded. Again, those outside, you know, seeing what, what other people were doing, traveling, you know, having, you know, getting careers and everything. And I thought, you know, I'm at this age now. I'm at a point where I can either keep going and just kind of daydream, and just go around in this circle of trying to get there or, okay, I've given it a crack. I've scratched the itch. That'll do me. I'm, How, I'm happy with that. You're content. Yeah. yeah. How old yeah. were you then? 26. 26, 26, 27, yeah. So talk, what's the um, mindset, what's the process before you've maybe told anyone that you're throwing it in? What's What goes through your head? Are you like, shit, what, what's everyone going to think of me? Or are you thinking I've failed at this? Or are you thinking that like, are you just content with that decision? Are you fearful of what other people are going to say when you tell them that, you're, that maybe the dream's over? Yeah, there is that, absolutely. You know, you've told everyone you want to be a pro. This is what I want. This is who I am. It's your identity. And then next thing, it's not. Did you feel like a failure? Um, at times. But again, I was pretty comfortable with that decision I'd made and I was comfortable within myself having made it. So, you know, the people I told who were good friends were like, yeah, okay, that's fine, mate. No worries. It's a massive thing for you to be, you know, be able to be content with yourself and that decision mm. and not try and have it validated by your peers, I suppose I would say, you know, because it would... You're making the wrong decision if you do that. Fucking oath. And, in and another, so many people yeah. fucking make decisions based on other people. Yeah. And in another life, you don't go and have a crack. You don't do any of that. You don't go to China and we're sitting here in the same podcast room. You're thinking, oh, geez, I could have... That's, you know, and that's, that's why I, could, I wanted to do it. I could have made it. I, I don't know. Yeah, But absolutely. you know that for certain, right? So yeah. now, so like that's... So I suppose looking at it, you sort of got... You gave everything you had. So you don't think you could have given more? You think you gave everything you I had was into pretty, that? I was ha- look, and I think that's why I was happy with making that decision because yep. I felt like I wasn't like, oh, I could have done this. And yep. it wasn't those what ifs. Yep. It was more, look, you gave it a good crack, mate. You, you worked hard to get to where you were. Wasn't good enough. That's fine. Fuck, that's a solid and mature way of 
dealing with that whole situation because it's it's eight nine years of your life, eight mm. years of your life. It's it was a, a lot of investment, fucking massive thing. A lot of investment. What do you yeah. think? What do you think Bernard Tomic is going to think one day? Oh, when fuck. you see these guys, you just want to belt them around the chops. You think, what are you doing? But again, you can't put yourself in their shoes because fuck, you got no there's idea. Way, what they, there's way, you know. many other factors. Oh. For him, but or for people yeah, in his he's situation. just a he's just a product of his own environment. His father's not much of it, but that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other. Podcast. But yeah, yeah, but I guess the point is, it's not a wasted talent. It's just you've had a fair crack, and no one can ever take that away from you. Mm. And um, it must be satisfying to know that you did have that. You know, absolutely, absolutely. I know that I I, I did what I wanted, and I was happy with that decision and that I'd gotten there. Yeah, and. I hated the game after. That was the. That was oh, really? I was burnt out. I, that's the thing. I think I'd given probably yeah. give it gone probably a bit too far with it, and and it just it was weighing me down. That's when that's when I went out west and just went nah, okay. Well, but even yeah, off. even still, like that's like to get to that point, like that's yeah, how you know that you've mm. done everything mm. that you that you can do for mm. it. So you went. Uh, so you came back to Australia. Told your mum you've done with that. And then yep. what was the what was the first thing? Because yeah, upstairs we were talking about you sort of felt completely isolated and lost. With where you were going to go, what you were yeah, going to do, yeah, and have thought about that a lot. You know, you golf was the only path you thought you were going to take. That was it. I'm a golfer. I'm going to be a golf pro. Don't worry about anything else. And then all of a sudden, as I've explained to you guys, it's like you just dropped out in the middle of the ocean and you don't know where to swim. You don't know what's next. Where do I go from here? Who am I going to be? You know. What's the next path? What's the next step? There's no fucking life manual, is there? Well, this is you're just whether it's you had a crack at golf or whether you've just come out of a you know six or seven year relationship, like, Same like deal, it's, it's your yeah. identity. Whatever it is is your identity, yeah. and it's like start from scratch. Yeah, I suppose you had those friends that you're seeing on the tour. You're not going to see them anymore. You know, yeah, it's all that sort of stuff. It's, it would be the same thing as a breakup, really. Mm. There's a lot of people, yeah, you don't see anymore. You were traveling with or practicing yeah. with, and you know, involved in that environment. Um, and yeah, you, that you don't longer really see a lot of those guys. So, well, so I don't anyway. Yeah. How did you trip out west? I was good. Happened. So yeah. Well, how did how did that come up? Um, I met I met. You're this from the country, aren't you? <laughs> Born and bred in Roma, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Running joke for those who know me. Um, <coughs> yeah, I've got a friend I met uh, at a at a place called Bullia, which is out. Mm. It's three hours south. You're not Isla. saying it properly. Bullia, Bullia, Bullia. And um, <coughs> got introduced to him out there. So Golf Queensland would send a couple of players to go and play these rural events because you know having guys sand greens, right? Sand greens, not the sand masters, yep. Um, Queensland sand greens. So I'd never been introduced to it. And we flew out there. We flew to Mount Isa and we drove down to Bullia. And um, that was a trip. You know, we rocked up the golf course. And I didn't really know. I didn't know what sand greens were. I'll be honest, I'd, I'd been southeast Queensland hub, sent, you know, all coastal hub, never really been out west. And this is, this is pretty out there. And we rocked up and they said, oh, there's the course. And I'm looking around. <laughs> Like, there's no grass. I can't see anything. It's just clay pan. I thought, how the fuck do you play golf out here? <laughs> anyway, that was the beginning and um, absolutely loved it. Had a great trip, met a lot of people, and I've played a lot of them since. So um, I met I met this mate of mine, Lefty. He's, um, so he's from Rome. He's got a place out of Roma. And I went out there. He's obviously right-handed. <laughs> <laughs> he is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I met him there, and then uh, <laughs> um, we. I had another. I had another event 
next year at miles, which is you know, four hours, about four and a half hours, um, depending on how fast you drive out west. So I went and met him there again. He said, look, if you ever want to come out, see what it's like out here, come out. So you're still just mucking around with a few little amateur things? Well, this was, 20, this was 2010 when I met him. Okay. So that had always... It, that's where we met. And okay. Then I went out to I went out to the farm first in August 2012, and uh, gee, did that open my eyes to. So you contacted him after you'd finished after, with yeah. yeah. So okay. I'd met him. I'd met yep. him through those okay. through those ways, yep, yep, yep. and then I went out there and yeah, we just sort of did a bit of work out there for a bit, sort of re you know reassess things, had a bit of time away from everything, and that's why I love going out there. You can just you're just away from everything that's going on in, in, in the cities. So you went you went away, but you were still playing a bit of golf out there? Or did you just can the golf? You hated Clubs golf? I got hung time. up for 15 months. Yeah, I right. didn't even want to talk about it. I didn't want to watch it. I was off the game. Just just couldn't, couldn't yeah, stand right. it. Right. Um, clean slate. Clean slate. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I was just, I was done with it. So, yeah, um, yeah so did a few jobs here and there in between. And I was on the search to, to find a place that I wanted to be and continue with. And I didn't know at that time. And that was very difficult. You just, you float around, you, you start questioning yourself and your self-worth. And you think, what am I doing, mate? You know, you're 27. You've got all these friends and family, or, you know, other people who are doing all these other things. They've got their you know, path laid out for them. They've got houses now. and Or so you would think. That's right. That's right. Or so you would think. Mm. It's all a facade for, for a lot. Not all. But um, but it's a natural position to find yourself in when you're searching for that identity. Of course, you can look at everyone else around you. Yeah. You think, fuck, what are they doing? Yeah, they've got it together. Exactly. What's wrong with me? Yeah, why am I the odd one out here? You know, this is like a the biggest trap that people yeah. fall into, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Twenty seven, still just a baby. Yeah, really. well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I look back now and just did, still didn't know a lot. So that was part of a few jobs, and then decided to move overseas. We moved to Canada. Canada. 13 months, yeah. Canada, eh? What'd you do over there? Yeah. Rip some skids. Nah, um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> going for a rip over your bird. <laughs> Have you seen that song? Anyway, um, I, I wanted, I, you know, by this point I like golf again and I like the courses over there and I just like the natural beauty of the place, you know, seeing Banff and all these places. So rekindling your romance with the clubs. Yeah. yeah. I thought, oh, I'll go over there. There's some great courses, you know, around that Jasper, Banff and yeah, Damascus yeah. anyway. So I was like, oh, gee, I wouldn't mind working over there. So, and experiencing the cold, that was nothing I'd ever experienced. Mm. So I experienced some heat out west, but never experienced cold. And I thought, yeah, it's just something different. So... Um, moved yeah, over there for 13 months How important you reckon that was At that time When you Yeah Crucial. I guess Looking for Searching for a bit of identity yeah, Trying massive, to find yourself massive. Getting away Getting away I think getting out of that comfort zone Of of having that support network around you Going away Being by I went over by myself To live there mm. Um, Yeah it was It was huge Do you, you think so much it's bec- You know how What we were talking about Yeah you start looking around At your other mates What are they doing Where am I compared to them And then you go to A whole new place Where you don't know anyone There's no one to compare yourself to mm. Mm. And maybe that's got A big part to play Yeah I guess the scene Yeah absolutely And the scene when you're over there You know People who are still travelling Often have the same sort of mindset Yeah And they want to just Experience things and, and they don't give a shit They don't Yeah A lot of them don't They just want to travel And have experiences doing Doing things away from everywhere And no, a lot of them really like travelling, and they don't care that they're mid thirties and and they're all quite open minded. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then they open you to new, you know, when when you live in the same place, there's a certain, I wouldn't say certain mindset, but there's you know 
a mindset in the city, but you go away and people have other experiences and they talk to you about things differently. And then there's a whole other world out there when you get out of your little bubble. Your bubble, and your bubble, bubble could be, you know, Queensland is its own bubble, right? Yeah, like, absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's the same as every state, whatever. Yeah, like there's two. There's yeah, two types of people really. The people that yeah just play it safe, which is just yeah, we can just easily keep doing this in a safe spot, or the people that are happy to take risks and go out and. Adventure have and have a go, and mm. it can be anything from fuck joining a sports team where you got no mates playing in it, or it can be yeah, fucking moving to Canada for thirteen months where you know no one. Mm. Like it can where you're forced to open up, meet new people. Yeah, do absolutely. New you, you haven't done. So hey, what, did, yeah, did, did you meet any new friends? Because your buddy not that yeah, friendly. You're not friendly. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe you actually have friends. Can anyone else see? That's why you play an individual sport, right? <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Um, no, look, well, look, there was a friend who I she'd um, she'd been living in Whistler. And I was with her for the first couple of weeks. She was moving to Nelson and we travelled to a couple of different places along the way. And the story just, that was the thing. I was told just go over there with an open mind and just go with it. Just, just go with the flow. And it, the way it worked out to where I got, which is Fernie, was unbelievable. Just how it all worked out. Um, I didn't really know that you were supposed to apply for jobs before you went over. So I rocked up, had no job. The, <laughs> the season was about to start. Yeah, the the uh, winter season. And I end up getting to this in this basement uh, in Fernie, which is 11 hours uh, east of Vancouver. In this guy's basement, he lived on the hill. He'd worked on the hill for ages, so he went and helped me get a job up on the hill. And I was what were you doing in his basement? Well, over there they've got basements. Yeah, right. it's not a thing here. So you were living down there. Yeah, yeah, right. So a lot of the houses like they'll be single story or double story on top, but a lot of them have a basement as yeah, well. Yeah, it's just not an Australian thing. Um, so yeah, I lived. I lived there. Had a good little spot there. You know, four hundred fifty dollars a week. Uh, sorry, a month rent, which doesn't sound like much, but Jeez. when you're on eleven dollars an hour mm. on thirty two hours a week, fair few hours. It's it, mate. You do the math. Yeah, it's Queen. <laughs> Anyone got a calculator? <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't earn twelve thousand dollars in in the thirteen months I was there. That's that's how you know. Yeah, right. It was tough. So I had a great setup. I couldn't couldn't ask for anything much more. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just the way it all worked out. I just went with the flow, got this, got this spot, excuse me, ended up getting a job. It was great. It all worked out. So it was a massive, massive learning experience for you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what the decision to come home, was that sort of, uh, I've got to go do something now or is it like, I've seen all this, I've had enough or what was that? I'm out of money and (laughs) I don't want to go through another winter Yeah, because it's, it's grim for me. I mean, we're so lucky here in Australia that we're, um, we are, um, you know, blessed with such good weather. And you go over there, and you know, there's barely any blue blue skies in six months of time. Yeah. Uh, sorry, six months yeah. over that season. So it was it it played on my mind. And being so cold, negative thirty got to it was difficult. So you came back. You started a mature age electrical apprenticeship. Um, so ever on the radar? No, never. No, didn't even think about it. I'd never really thought that this would be the industry I'm in. How, how long have you been into it? Like, how far into it are you now? Third year now. Okay. Yeah. So Mature you, age apprentice. And you're enjoying it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started when I was, what, 30? 30? Yeah. 31? So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was late. You see a lot of guys now who start it when they're early, but pretty late, but it is what it is. And it's something you're going to build a career around? Is yeah, it? I really enjoy it. Yeah. I really Start like your own industry, business yeah. type thing or work for people? Not sure. Who knows? Who knows? Um there's a lot to explore in the industry. So, um, yeah, I'll just see how it goes and, and 
probably get a plan the more I get to towards the end of the apprenticeship. Mature age apprenticeships, uh, I mean, they're pr- probably harder to come by, but from my experience, when you have a mature age apprentice, they want to they 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 want to be there more. You're far better, you know, just prepared for the job. You're more eager to work and 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 learn, I suppose. Mm. So I well, mean, yeah, that yeah. You, you're older, you've, you're making a decision where you've sort of probably been out and done a few things and like you and, yeah. A bit more life experience. And hook in. So yeah. I suppose one of the, the key things that we wanted to talk about in this podcast before we go far too long in time was you being nine months into a 12-month stint of being off the grog. Run us through how that came about. This is like a whole, this is like a s- separate podcast. Second part gonna, of the, second gonna, part of the story. But we're going to wrap it in. We're going to wrap it all into this. Well, I think it comes podcast. into the mindset, the golfer's mindset, yeah. doesn't it? We might have to. Yeah. So how did how did <laughs> how did the yeah how did it come about? Um, combination of things. Um, uh, working in the bottle shop, got to see a lot of people at their lowest. Um, alcoholism running in the family, uh, and just my own experiences and being self aware of, of what was going on. Just having a few few moments where I just thought, "Wow, what are you doing? What are, what you are, doing? What are some of those moments?" Oh, just. Um, as we spoke about earlier, like having a, you know, ha- having a game, game of golf, having a few beers, then turning into a lot more beers, and then driving home, full as a cook. You just think, get home, can barely speak, and you just think, what are you, what are you doing, mate? You get up the next day, you don't really care at the time, but then you get up the next morning, you really question your actions, and that was one thing. Um, and the big one where I stopped was um, when I was at a golf tournament in Toowoomba last year. Yeah, that was that was it for me. It just been building up to me for, for me. I was putting on weight. My mental health was, you know, going downhill because of it. Due to a few reasons, you know, lack of self-respect. I've, I've, I put it down to when I was drinking. It's not like I was addicted, but it was a habit I didn't like that I had. How much do you think you were drinking every weekend? Type oh thing? yeah, I'd hit Friday, and a carton of black rats. Not a carton, a ten pack. A ten pack would be something you know I could get into after after a week or over the weekend, and. Yeah, just I just I, I I hated waking up, just feeling sluggish and low, and you know you just I just kept questioning why I was doing it. What is this giving me? How's it? So what is it giving me? How am I benefiting from it? Are you benefiting benefiting at all? And I wasn't. And I just think it was a combination of things that got me to the point where I just thought this is doing me no good. I'm fat. My mental health's down. I just I was I just stepped back and really realized that it wasn't. The big, a big self reflection. So I wrote a, a bit of one of the articles that we put out this month in the Trademark Tribune. That's get around right. it if get you haven't. It. Yeah. Get around it. The Tribune um, is uh, around goal setting, but I guess in a relatable way, where blokes who are in this target sort of poor mental health bracket can relate to. One of them stories was about a fella. I actually read the story on blokes' advice, and it was yeah. a fella who had earlier this year uh, the title one year no beer. And it caught my attention, went on to read it. Starts, he was getting blind all the time. Anytime he drank, it went from zero to 100 very quickly, which, well, I mean, let's be honest, we've all been there at times. But in this case, it was habitual and constant mm. and destroyed, destructive behavior, lost his wife, you know, was losing mates. This was a shit version of himself. And that point where he lost his family was like a turning point. It was yeah. like, I've got to change this. And so set the goal, cut out the piss, and he found 
as a byproduct of identifying that the alcohol was a problem in his life, all these other awesome things happened in his life that he didn't see coming just mm. by addressing this one issue. He saved enough money to buy a new car Funny because that. he wasn't drinking. He got fit. Yeah. Um, his behaviour improved and he got promoted at work, became a manager, got a pay rise, got his mates back, had found better relationships. Because it sounds like his, you know, um, alcoholism was, you know, you hang around people who enable your behaviour, I suppose. Big time. And the final piece of the puzzle was before Christmas, got his wife back, got his wife and kids back. They asked mm-hmm. him back into the family home. Awesome. Like, awesome. How's, how's your, like, sobriety been? And Best other, thing I've ever done. Other byproducts that have come about because of it? Um, well, I, I got to that point. Uh, at Easter last year and I just wanted to really get a quantitative analysis of what was going on. So I looked at my bank statements. I went through how much I was spending on it and it was about 118 a week, I think it was. I was working away so we'd have a few beers after work. Okay, that's five and a half grand a year. Is that right? Six, over six. Where's Jeez. that calculator? Here, but here you go. That's, yeah, right. It's over six. Yeah. And uh, look, that can be a lot for someone and that can be nothing to someone. And if it's nothing, well you're spending a lot on alcohol, which could be put into other areas. So I guess that was something that weighed up. I was 94 kilo. I'd never been 94 kilo. You know, trying to put a pair of golf shorts on. I'm lying on the bed, sucking my gut in, trying to do the clip up, and I couldn't. And I just thought, come on, what are you doing, mate? So, um, I've you know, I've, I've, I've lost a lot of weight. My mental health, I'm just finding I'm a lot sharper now. I wake up much more level, much more level as to when I was drinking and you'd wake up and... You're just low for a few days. I mean, a lot of people would know. You go out if you have a big night on the Terps. The hangover can last for a few days. Oh, shit, yeah. Which, again, is bad for productivity at work. And you started this campaign with a mate. I did. I did. Nick, yeah. He he um, had done it for six months, and he said, mate, it was unreal. You should give it a go. This was just at a meeting from another friend, just mutual friends. And I said, well, look, right, let's, let's do it, and let's make each other accountable. We'll put 500 bucks on it. And we'll go till January 1, 2020. I thought, right, that's a good crack. Because a lot of people just do a month. I just don't think that's enough. I don't think it's enough. Mm. If you want to have a decent crack, make it, a you know, to really see the changes, give yourself six months. And um, so we, we did that. I think it was seven seven months at that time. And because um, I'd sort of just started getting off it. And... We, we did the bet and look, he copped out after a couple of months. He had <laughs> yeah, he had a family thing on and next thing he's having a few beers. But he paid me straight away, paid me the 500. But for me, I wanted to keep going with it and I've stuck with it. And I don't know, I don't really, ha- I don't really feel the need to do it. How, how have you been <laughs> in those, those situations? Because I've thought about giving up the grog. I'll be completely honest, I have thought about it. But then I've thought, holy shit, I just would feel like... Am I missing out? You know, like I've had so many great times when I've been out on the grog, and they've been very fond memories of mine. Mm. And then the parts that you can remember, yeah. But I mean, as in, like, oh, some of some of the best some some of the best <laughs> that's, memories, that's right. um, you know, I've got with mates is being out on the grog. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and at events and race days and stuff like that. And I probably get, yeah, I freak out a bit of the fact that I'm not going to be having as much fun at those events mm. during that period. Mm. Is that something that you thought about? Absolutely. I mean, I'd go out and, geez, just poof, crack that first 10. We're yeah. on it and you're just into it. And it's that excitement of, you know, oh, we're going to have a big night here. And I've done it. 
but for me, it just didn't outweigh the positives of not drinking. So I think yeah, came down to it. But those, you're, yeah. you're competitive with yourself, I think, as well. Like once you like you've gone, you know, so X amount of time, nine months, yeah, yeah which yeah. is like, well, shit, I'm not. Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go back on it now. Like you're probably just gonna really see how long you can go for. Like, yeah, well, the years up. 22nd April, my birthday is on the 1st of May. So, I don't know. That'll be a test. I'm going to the Birds or Races this year. That's my goal. Oh, God. Yes, that's what I mean. Those that's sorts of that'll... those sorts of events. So, at what events have you been through in the last nine months where you're like, holy fuck, I could really do with a drink here because oh, this is... weddings. Going out to the farm. That was the that was the one place, you know. On the You leave Roma and you crack a tin and just... And it's hot now. Like, it's bloody... It's hot. It's very humid work. at the moment. But that's the habit. And I think yeah. that's the issue. You know, you finish work on Friday... Bang! Straight to the bottle shop. Let's go. How do you? Are you? Do you feel empowered that you've been Absolutely. able to say no? Self control is like a muscle. The more you flex it, the stronger it gets. Because and that's, that's what I found. Yeah. Because if you, and that's what I mean. That month is, you know, people go, oh, it's a month. Oh, it's all. I'll be back on it soon. It's okay. With your mates around, you just going, fuck, might have a beer. Well, I've been called numerous names <laughs> for not drinking, but I think it's the opposite. It's not easy, um, but that also. Being competitive spurs me on a bit as well. So what you're talking about, like you've thought about giving up the grog, I mean that's great. Like, I, but I don't think there's anything. You're not going home every night and no. sucking and sucking no, tins, no, no. and you're not. But yeah. like, and there's nothing wrong with going out and having a blowout. Like, mm, in no. fact, no, I just want to be able to see if I could test if you, myself if and you just you be like. You know, like I couldn't imagine going to Gundy races and not having a drink. <laughs> I think you know what I mean. I think people need to blow out. You need oh, to have a blow. Out. That's the Sam Gardell. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Method to um Careful. full cleansing once every six months. But blow out. What? Well, I mean, we're talking about self-assessment and actually reflecting on your existence and how you're talking about your relationship with alcohol was just not making you feel good at all. And no. so that's where you're at. You wouldn't, from what you've described, you weren't an alcoholic. You didn't, you know, have withdrawals if you didn't drink. It no. was just a habitual thing that wasn't making you feel good. The shit that was weighing you down, it didn't need to. And what makes you feel good or what, you know, impacts your life is completely different to, you know, Ed or myself. Everyone's different with it. And I think that's where you've that's got to analyse your relationship with it. Yeah. And think, okay, I'm only doing it once a month at an event. Okay, sweet. I can deal with the repercussions of being hungover. Yeah. But it's – if that works for you. But I'm better off not being on it at all. I just find that works for me. And yeah. I, and I've really liked being off it. It yeah. was it was, it was kind of tough at the start when you think, oh, gee, but what what if I could have a good time? But, you know, I, mm. I don't. How, how have your mates been with it? What mates? Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess – in getting off it, I've weighed up my friends and the ones who, as you said, you know, said enable that behaviour. And I've kind of just tried to pull away from that because I don't, I don't get a lot out of sitting around a table and drinking beers. I prefer doing things or having more experience with with people or having a good chat one on one with people. I, f- I find I get more out of that than sitting around a table. It's just such drinking. a key message though, because like people. You don't, if you're an alcoholic, you're hanging out at the pub mm. because that's where the other alcoholics hang out and you... Oh, they and, just... And you enable each other. Fuck yeah. You know They're I mean? saying, yeah, you're doing it, I'm doing it, it's all sweet. It's We're all doing it. Yeah. And people, I think that's why people, ref, you know, press on me their insecurities of... Absolutely. Oh, wait, you're not drinking. 
You fucking pussy. Yeah. Like, righto, righto, Rog. Fucking calm your tits, mate. Yeah. Just, okay. <laughs> yeah, as you were. Yeah, but uh, you know because. I think not drinking makes people feel uncomfortable. Well, it doesn't. Val- I suppose it doesn't drinking? validate them doing what they're doing. Exactly, and they're going, "Holy shit, who's they've got who's right here?" Doing. Yeah, you know what I mean. And yeah. there's no right or wrong, like you've just pointed out. Like it's mm. just what your individual relationship mm. is with that, and it mm. could be anything. But you know, people know. Like you know, everyone knows what if what they're doing is damaging either for themselves or those around them. Everyone knows it. And it's just whether or not you know the difference between a good decision and a bad decision. It's just whether or not denial. you have to. Oh, it was it's like, denial. but it was like me. It was like me with when I was smoking. Like it was sort of like I, I just don't know how I'm going to be able to get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, and not have one without know. a cigarette. Yeah. And it was for years. Like yeah, right. I smoked from when I was pretty much well, yeah, weekends at school up until what second year of my apprenticeship, and like. But it was hard, and same thing. Like there were people at work that were smoking, mm. but then it was sort of like, how do you pull yourself out of the environment? And then eventually, I just it just clicked, and I just said, like, that's it. Yeah. But there's blokes that everyone knows it's killing you, but for some reason, it just never it never clicks. So, a, you know, I've poison, got yeah. cousin now. He's 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 sixty, and it's that's it. You but know, a lot of shot, done. Yeah. a lot of um t- a lot of the times, people will just like do the month off, like you're saying, a month off isn't enough, but. It can be just enough for someone to prove to themselves that they aren't actually dependent on it. Do you know what I mean? Like straight back on it, straight. Straight away. back on it, and it's yeah. like, and, and it's and even drinking, worse. Drinking Ooh, double to make it. Can't wait for August. Drinking Ooh. double to make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, again, there that you're gonna have to self-assess and kind of try to. Am I really in control of it? Yeah. and I think that's where it was. That is a key point. Yeah, yeah. are am you I, in control? Am I really in control? Genuinely. And I think that's where, if you have six months off, you can prove to yourself that you've got control over it. Yeah. And that, um, yeah. So, and it's funny, having done it, a lot of people have said, you know, gee, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. How did you do it? Like, how did you do it? You mentioned a book that you, um, that, that sort of got you through it. You didn't read it. It's an audio book. Audio you can't book. actually read, can you? <laughs> <laughs> or you're copping it. You're the only guest that's really copped at grilling. Uh, it's, you're probably too blind drunk to be able to read. It's better listen to this one. At the time. Um, yeah, what is it called? Naked, Naked Mind? Mind? Yeah. Yeah, controlling your life with alcohol, and that gave me a lot of information as to what you know how we're so heavily marketed with alcohol. Oh, it's just drilled into us. Everything we do is just alcohol. You know, wedding, alcohol, death. You got to wake alcohol. Any celebrate you know celebratory event is just get on it. It's just so ingrained in our society. So oh, that's, that's where yeah. it's difficult. But that's be. with so many of those things. It's just like, yeah, it's really hard to be able to yeah pull yourself out of that environment mm. and and that social norm, I suppose. And like you've said, and not get fucking ridiculed by people that mm. don't want to be seen um, doing the wrong thing. Sort of, I, I suppose it's yeah. it's a hard one. And I like have this conversation with you, knowing like admitting myself personally, like I've you know my relationship with alcohol could be far better than what it currently is, and I know that I'm probably it's not driven, power, yeah. And I'm like I'm not sitting here pretending that I'm perfect, you know. <laughs> oh, like I can, vouch, far, I can vouch for that. Far, <laughs> far, far from it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's all. It's all. It's can we get a timestamp on that. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> One hour and five. We probably should wrap yeah, this up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess again, it's like um, 
self-assessment is the key message here to understand how it makes you feel. If you're waking up in the morning feeling like shit again and, you know, your relationships are just mediocre, well, there is a better option out there. You can change it. And if you mm. make a small, you it's know... A small change. A small change. A change. It's we r- think it's massive, but what you get out of it's so much more, I think. Build, you build better friendships. You have better conversations with people. You know, people have opened up to me when I've said, you know, I was battling mentally yeah. during these times when I was drinking. You know, I was always low. And they, you know, they, they then open up to me. And just having that conversation, which is what this whole company is about, is, you know, making sure that people can speak about their tough times and if they've got mental issues and what they're going through. And I've had people open up to me about their issues and that's really empowering again for me and that's where it builds strength for me that I'm helping someone and that's that's better mm-hmm. than drinking. In well, my, I mean, in it's, my a, it's a complex um, subject, mental health, but, you know, some cases are super, super complex, but other cases where people find themselves struggling with depression it's, or, you know, yeah. anxiety or whatever... There's often a root cause, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. And like for a lot of people, it might be alcohol. Or there was a conversation we were having with a young fella who was in a bit of trouble over the weekend and he wasn't feeling, he was far from okay right. psychologically, mm. but he didn't need a psychologist. He needed legal advice right. for a situation that he was in that was yep. causing him to feel like that. So yep. often, you know, you can just address that root cause and all you need is a bit of guidance. It doesn't necessarily mean having to, you know, go and get intense therapy. It's just actually like, again, self-assessing, self-affecting and looking at what it is mm. in my life that's making me feel yeah. this way. Yeah. Well, Cam, it's been a dead set pleasure. Oh, yeah. Uh, it hasn't been too bad, has yeah, it? It's been pretty good. Sorry hey? about the grilling from... <laughs> that's fine. I only, mate over here. I only grill people I like. That's why I never grill you. No. <laughs> nah, thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah. We'll, see, we'll see, see you tomorrow. See, the you in, <laughs> see you in the Queensland sand grades. Okay? <laughs> Thanks, mate. Well, no worries, boys. Cheers. Good on you, Cam. If you're a fan of Trademutt's 120 Grit podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at admin at trademutt.com.